Hello. Welcome to the legends of King Arthur and his knights. This week's episode is brought to you by Leatherman Data Services. Sometimes a historical tale requires something more than words and can be improved with a visual element. If you lack the time or skill to create these yourself, then why not find an experienced cartographer who shares your passion for the past? Leatherman Data Services supply mapping and geographic data services for historians, archaeologists and others. They aim to provide high-quality products for people who care about history just as much as we do. You can contact them at leathermandataservices at gmail.com or visit the website leathermandataservices.com So, on with the story. The Legends of King Arthur and His Knights Chapter 36 Everyone Makes Mistakes Sir Tristram was dead, but the quest for the Holy Grail was too important for any time to be given for mourning. Galahad and his new united companion, Melius, rode away from the abbey in order to find out what it was they needed to do next. It was clear the quest would be a long one with many trials and adventures along the way. What they had to keep in mind, though, was that it was a holy quest and they must follow divine guidance. Which makes it all the more difficult to explain what happened next. The two knights came to a fork in the road, at which stood a cross with a message on it. Now, given the words were written on a cross, it seems that even the thickest of knights could have worked out it was probably a divine message. Melius, though, did exactly the opposite of what he should have done. The words on the cross were, The right fork is only for good and worthy knights. Do not take the left fork unless you are the best that there is, or you will suffer. Melias informed Galahad he wanted to endure the trials of the left fork. Galahad tried to tell him it might be better if he, Galahad, went that way, but Melias was having none of it. Galahad decided he couldn't stop the young man from doing what he wanted to do, and so he let him go. Of course, it was a terrible idea. Melias rode along for a while. After a couple of days, he ended up in a forest where he saw a magnificent throne, on which were a number of things, including a very fine crown. Melius liked the look of the crown, so he put his right arm through it and carried it off, whereupon he was, inevitably, challenged by a knight to put it back or else. Of course, there was a battle. Of course, Melius lost, and the knight took back the crown, and, of course, Melius was left on the ground three-quarters dead, a rather ugly-looking spear sticking out of his side. Mentally kicking himself for being such an idiot, Melias prepared to die. Fortunately, though, Galahad turned up and rescued him, taking him to a nearby abbey. There the spear was removed from his side and he was tended. The monk looking after Melias told Galahad he would be healed within a month and then explained to Melias that it was his sinful life that caused him to be so gravely injured. Galahad was pleased that Melias would recover but he decided he didn't have any time to be waiting around for a month before continuing the quest. He realised, though, that after acquiring his magical shield, he had ridden around aimlessly. He realised, in fact, he didn't know what he was supposed to do next. As usual, for a holy quest, divine guidance was what he needed. After a few more days' random wandering, he arrived at the top of a hill where he stumbled across an ancient chapel. He prayed for guidance and received in return a voice in his head telling him he must go to the Castle of Maidens and free it from its evil custom. Whether this was the voice of God or someone with a vested interest in removing the curse putting thoughts in Galahad's head is not recorded. Either way, 
Galahad gave his thanks and rode off towards the aforementioned cursed castle. Smiling merrily and with great purity, Sir Galahad rode down to the banks of the River Severn until he came in sight of a castle. He was pretty sure it was the right one, and was even more sure that he'd be given a sign before too long to let him know. Sure enough, an old man told him not to go to the castle as it was a terrible place. He told the noble knight to turn back. Galahad, pleased with life, God and himself, thanked the old man kindly and rode on. Destiny, he thought, really took all of the trouble out of making decisions. He soon found his way blocked by seven young ladies who told him that he had passed the bounds of the cursed castle. Galahad cheerfully informed the ladies he knew he had and he was here to take on the custom of the castle and hopefully free the inhabitants from it. It was all, he said, in a day's work for the best and purest of all knights. A servant of the castle then told him he was making a really big mistake, but if that was what he wanted, then that is what he would have. Galahad smiled serenely. The serene knight's smile grew even broader when he saw seven knights approaching. Gladly he raised his lance and prepared for battle. Galahad charged. The first knight hit the ground after receiving a divinely inspired blow from Galahad's spear. The other six managed to charge all at once, but Galahad's shield kept all six lances at bay. In fact, quite remarkably, all six lances were shattered in the process. Three more knights were unhorsed, and then eight swords were drawn. The fallen knights remounted. Galahad was now fighting seven swordsmen at once. The serene smile never left his face as he crashed mightily into his opponent's bodies. The battle lasted until lunchtime. The seven knights were powerful and skilled in the arts of hand-to-hand combat, but they were no match for the chosen one. As their armour became more stained with their own blood, they saw that winning was out of the question. They turned and fled from the battlefield. Galahad let them go. If he could win without killing them, that was fine by him. It was always better not to kill if that was at all possible. He rode towards the castle to see what he had to do next. The seven knights didn't get far, but we'll hear about that a little later in this chapter. Sir Galahad rode slowly up to the gates of the Castle of Maidens. There he was handed the keys to the fortress and told that it was his. He entered the castle and was mobbed by hundreds of ladies, blessing him for ridding them of the curse of the castle. He was led to some lodgings. Galahad protested it was far too early in the day for resting and he wasn't even tired. He was soon informed he was in a choice-free zone as far as leaving was concerned. If he left, the seven knights would be back and would resume their cursed activities, attacking every knight who passed the bounds. He couldn't go, they said, until he had forced all of the local knights and men to swear never to resume the terrible custom. Now, this was a bit like the situation Lancelot got himself into when he first took Joyous Guard. Lancelot had refused to stay and eventually had to be kidnapped. Galahad, though, had his destiny thing to turn to. Deciding that if this was what was required, then this is what he must do, he agreed and went up to a fine palace room for a rest. He was given an ivory horn and told he must summon the local knights to the castle by blowing it. After a short rest, he did just that. When they had all arrived, Galahad asked the man who had given him the keys, who just happened to be a priest, what the curse was really all about. The priest told the story. Ten years ago, seven knights arrived. They asked for hospitality from the lord of the castle. He was a kind man, so he agreed 
but at dinner a quarrel broke out over one of the Duke's daughters. The poor Duke was killed, as was his son, and the knights seized the treasure of the castle and took the poor girl prisoner. The despicable knights then waged war on the local lords and knights and forced them to submit to their rule and become their vassals. The Duke's daughter prophesied the castle would be taken from them on the account of one young lady. Ever since then, they have never let a lady leave who enters this castle. Thus, it has become known as the Castle of Maidens. Galahad asked if the young lady was still a prisoner in the castle, but was told that she had died. Her younger sister, though, was still very much alive and a captive of the knights. Galahad beamed. He knew what he had to do. He had the girl freed, and then asked all of the local knights to swear an oath of allegiance to her. This they did gladly. Galahad then freed all of the other captive ladies and sent them to their homelands. He stayed the night in the castle, and then left to continue the quest. Before he left the castle, though, he was told of the fates of the seven knights. Glad he hadn't had to kill them himself, the serene knight rode off, wondering what destiny had in store for him next. Sir Gawain was less known for his serenity. He was fiercely loyal to his master, King Arthur, and to his friends, particularly Sir Lancelot. Sometimes, though, he was simply too committed to the cause and didn't do what was good for him. When he departed Camelot, Gawain, like Galahad, was not sure of what he needed to do next. Unlike Sir Serene, though, he wasn't one to wait around for destiny to make up its mind. Nope, Gawain was a man of action. It was with some luck, then, that he arrived at the abbey where poor injured Melius lay, very sick indeed. Gawain didn't see it that way, however. Instead, he cursed his luck in having just missed Sir Galahad. He was a lot more pleased soon, though, when another of the questing knights rode into the abbey courtyard. It was his brother, Gareth. Both stayed the night and rode out in the morning, soon encountering yet another family member on the quest for the grail. This time it was their cousin, Uwain. The three knights chatted, trying to discover how much adventure the quest had supplied each of them with thus far. They soon realised that not one of them had had a single adventure worth speaking of. Because of this, all three were delighted to come across seven wounded knights galloping away from a distant castle. Even more gratifying was the fact that these seven knights immediately challenged them to a fight. The seven knights were already wounded, and they were up against three mighty warriors. It seems that it would have been far more sensible for them to ride away very fast. After all, they'd just been crushed by a single knight of the round table, so how were they going to take on three? Knights, as we know, are not renowned for their good sense when it comes to jousting, and these were no different. They soon regretted it, or they would have done if they'd still had the capacity to regret, or indeed feel, anything. In the first joust, three of them were killed immediately, one each by the lances of their three opponents. The other four died within a few minutes, cut down by the combined might of King Arthur's three nephews. The three knights, deciding they'd finally had a decent adventure, bid each other farewell and rode on separately. Sir Gawain arrived at a hermitage. Flushed with the success of his first adventure on the quest, it is here that his lack of serenity struck. Maybe the battle was what clouded his judgement. Maybe it was his general impatience to get on with things. Whatever the reason, he made a serious mistake. The hermit began to preach to Gawain from the Bible. This settled the quester a bit, and soon they began to chat. Gawain admitted he'd done a few bad things in his life, and the hermit offered to hear him confess some of them. 
he told him of his shame at the death of Sir Lamorak and his regret at being unable to control his brother Mordred's more violent and sneaky tendencies. He told him of his other sins. He told the hermit that he, his brother and his cousin had killed the seven knights. It seems that this was in some way symbolic, as the hermit told him that the knights had been left to live by Galahad. Galahad's pure, merciful intentions were in direct contrast to Gawain's. The hermit didn't leave Gawain without hope. He told King Arthur's faithful servant that he could be forgiven for his sins and all would be fine if he did penance. And this is where Sir Gawain made his big error of judgment. He decided that the quest was more important than penance and he said no. Then he went on his way. He met up with a couple of questers, Sir Aglaval and Sir Grifflet, unaware that he had done a very silly thing. Sir Gawain, still full of sin, was not going to achieve the quest of the Holy Grail. He had just blown his chance. Sir Serene, on the other hand, carried on serenely. He wasn't going to do anything quite as silly. Destiny would have its way with Sir Galahad, and that was fine by him. He chanced upon Sir Lancelot, his father, and Sir Percival, who were riding by. As form dictated, they had a quick joust. Sir Lancelot charged with all his might against the young knight, but he was thrown from his horse. Sir Percival tried too, but Galahad was more powerful, and Percival also found himself unhorsed. As he galloped off, a woman cried out from a nearby hermitage. Her words were indistinct, but the gist was understood. She recognised Galahad, whereas Sir Lancelot and Sir Percival hadn't. Quickly they rode to try and catch up with the unknown knight, but he was long gone. Lancelot took off his helmet and spoke ruefully to Percival. What do we do now? Percival shrugged. I think maybe we should go back and retrace our steps. Maybe we've gone wrong somewhere. I think we could go back to the hermitage and ask more questions of that woman. She knew the valiant knight. Lancelot shared with his best friend one key characteristic. Like Sir Gawain, he didn't like wasting time, and going back seemed like, well, a backward step. He announced he was going on. Then leaving Sir Percival gazing on a little forlornly, he rode off. Not long later, Sir Lancelot arrived at a fork in the road. At the fork was a stone cross on which were written some words. The right fork is only for good and worthy knights. Do not take the left fork unless you are the best that there is, or you will suffer. When Melius had seen this previously, he had done the wrong thing and gone the wrong way. Lancelot, however, didn't even have the luxury of choosing. It was so dark he couldn't make out the letters and he couldn't decipher the message. He randomly took the right fork and so escaped the fate of the younger man. He chose that route because he could just about make out in the distance the outline of a chapel. As he approached the chapel, he realised it was in ruins and abandoned. He went into the porch, stuck his face against the grill and peered inside. In the church was an altar, brightly lit by six powerful candles, in a beautiful silver candle holder with six elegant candlesticks. Lancelot desperately wanted to go inside, but he could find no way in. Frustrated and a little bemused, Lancelot decided the only solution to his annoyance was a nice nap. He took his horse back to the cross and let it loose to graze for food. Then he took off his helmet and sword and lay down near the base of the cross. Lancelot, being Lancelot, took no time at all to drop off, but he slept only fitfully. The knight with the white shield was on his mind. He desperately wanted to find him and take on the quest with him. During one of his dozing, fitfully awake moments, Lancelot saw an injured knight being carried past on a stretcher of some sort. 
The knight seemed to be in desperate pain, and he cried out for the Holy Grail to be brought to save him. He raved and ranted, mostly at God, about how awful it was, and how much really, really bad pain he was in. Lancelot watched as if in a trance, completely unmoving. Still motionless, Lancelot glanced about. Only his eyes moved. Everything else was as if frozen in stone. If he could have cried out in amazement, he would have done, when he saw the silver candle holder he had seen in the chapel move towards the night, although nobody was carrying it. Behind it came a table made from finest silver. On the table was a vessel that looked very much like the one he had seen in the castle of the Fisher King. Lancelot, still not really knowing whether he was awake or asleep, continued to watch as the sick knight flopped to the ground and screamed out his thanks. He dragged himself up with the support of the silver table and pressed his eyes to the grail. At once he bounded to his feet and almost cried, Thank you, I am healed. The knight then almost fell asleep. Lancelot, still half awake and half asleep, watched as after a few minutes the grail, the candle holder and the table made their way back to the chapel. Once it was there, the newly healed knight jumped up, kissed the cross and greeted a squire who had arrived with a suit of armour. Hello there, I have been magically healed by a visitation from the Holy Grail. The knight gestured at Lancelot, and that knight there slept through the whole thing. Then, said the squire, he must be a very sinful knight, although he looks like a knight who follows the quest for the Grail. Oh, and you might as well have these. He handed Lancelot's sword and the reins of Lancelot's horse to the knight. The knight, very pleased, vowed to follow the quest himself and then rode off into the distance. When the knight had been gone a short time, Lancelot sat bolt upright. He was still unsure as to whether he had been awake or dreaming when he had seen the knight being healed. What he was completely sure of, though, was that his sword and horse were gone. He wandered back up to the ruined chapel and peered inside. There he saw the altar and candle holder, just as before, but there was no sign of the grail. He moped back to the cross and sat down. He realised he was full of sin and wouldn't see the grail. He realised his affair with Guinevere was a wicked and terrible deed, and it, among a few other things, made him unworthy of the quest. He sat down, leant against the cross, and cried like a baby for hours. Lancelot of the Lake wailed until dawn. Still blubbing, he got up, and now, without a horse or sword, wandered off. Inevitably, he stumbled across a hermitage, where he sought out a holy man. The man asked where he had come from, and Lancelot replied he was from King Arthur's court and on the quest for the Holy Grail. He also let it be known in no uncertain terms he needed help. "'What do you need?' asked the holy man gently. "'Do you need to confess your sins?' Lancelot nodded and told the priest who he was. The priest was somewhat taken aback when he realised he was in the presence of the great Sir Lancelot of the Lake. He was unsure as to whether the great man really had enough sins to confess, but he sat down and waited for the mightiest of King Arthur's knights to speak. But he didn't. Sir Lancelot of the Lake, fearer of nobody, was too afraid to confess his bad deeds. The holy man told him, in his best therapeutic manner, that he'd feel a lot better if he got it all off his chest. So Lancelot, still terrified, finally told somebody about his love for the Queen and what he had done about it. It all came out, chapter and verse as it were. Then he told the holy man about his strange experience by the cross in the road, about how he thought he might have seen the Holy Grail, but had been unable to move or say anything. 
The priest told Lancelot he must vow on his very honour as a knight never to carry on with the Queen or any other married woman ever again. He must pray for forgiveness and do penance and then he would be forgiven. Lancelot did it all. He vowed never to be with Guinevere again and he prayed and did his penance. Then he stayed at the hermitage for the night. In the morning the holy man's brother gave Lancelot a horse and some arms and he rode off to continue the quest. So, Galahad carried on serenely following the quest while Sir Gawain and Sir Lancelot were impeded by their misdeeds of the past. Gawain foolishly decided he didn't have time to atone and he would suffer for it. Lancelot realised the error of his ways and did his penance. Unfortunately, as we'll hear later in our story, he wasn't able to stick to his side of the bargain. In the end, the two friends would both suffer badly and both would play a big part in the collapse of Camelot. Before I go, I'd just like to let you know of a great new audio drama series about Arthurian legend from thetableround.com. Have a little listen to this. Audio drama in the age of Arthur. For word had gone through all the land that he who drew the blade should fill the sovereign's empty throne, the rightful king be made. You witnessed as I pulled this sword from the stone, and you will either submit to it or die by it. The Lord of Legions, the light in the darkness, east rides Arthur. TheTableRound.com Next time, we'll find out what happened to Sir Percival after he and Lancelot went their separate ways. Until then, have a great couple of weeks, and I'll speak to you next time.